welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. We're going to start out, and uh, this seems to be a really popular tradition right now, especially in my home group, and this is Tradition 5. And in the back of the big book, on page 561, I want to read this one more time. Under the AA tradition, to those now in its fold, Alcoholics Anonymous has made the difference between misery and sobriety, and often the difference between life and death. AA can, of course, mean just as much to uncounted alcoholics not yet reached. Therefore, no society of men and women ever had a more urgent need for continuous effectiveness and permanent unity. We alcoholics see that we must work together and hang together, else most of us will finally die alone. Um, these 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous are, we believe, the best answers that our experience has yet given to those ever-urgent questions. How can AA best function? And how can AA best stay whole and so survive? And then we'll switch over to the next page, 562, for Tradition 5 in the short form. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And then on page 563, Tradition 5, long form, says, Each Alcoholics Anonymous group ought to be a spiritual entity, having but one primary purpose, that of carrying its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Okay, and as long as we got our big books, there's a piece that I, a couple things I wanted to pick out of here before we move out of the big book, and that is um, in the forward to the first edition. In the first, in the first paragraph on page X I I I, it says that uh, to show other alcoholics precisely. How we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And I just, I read that because of the traditions pointing at, uh, we need to keep this whole and soul survive and what we pass on. But what we pass on is what this book shows us precisely how to recover. And that's what we pass on. That's the main purpose of this book. And, and there's another part, and this is in Dr. Bob's Nightmare on page 180. Um, down about the, it's an all italics down about the, in the bottom of the second paragraph. And that's what Bob said. He says, of far more importance was the fact that he was the first living human with whom I had ever talked, who knew what he was talking about in regard to alcoholism from actual experience. In other words, he talked my language. And the reason I, I tied those two things in is, that's what this whole book is about, is showing us how to, to get sober and stay sober. But also, with Dr. Bob, he had tried many other ways, but the first person that ever talked to him where he could identify and felt like this person knew what they were talking about was when Bill talked to him. And uh, I believe in our, in our Tradition 5 that we're talking about today, is it's so important that we remember that, and that's what our that's what our whole purpose is, is to carry <clears throat> this message. We just got this one primary purpose to carry this message, which we are showing exactly, precisely how to do. And the main reason for that is what Dr. Bob wrote about is that people can identify with us. <clears throat> and this, I believe, uh, this is my belief that this works in all of the fellowships. Uh, be it Al-Anon or NA or OA or GA or FA or any of them, 
people sit in those rooms, just like I sat in my first rooms when I came to AA, and all of a sudden, this all this stuff that I had in my head that I would never tell anybody, and I always thought I was so crazy for having it there, I started hearing people talking about that in those rooms, in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And pretty soon, I was identifying with these people, and I thought, well, it isn't just me. I'm not crazy. And, uh, well, yeah, maybe I was crazy, <laughs> just like them. But as as it went on, I, I felt so comfortable in there because I was among people who were just like me. I wasn't thrown into a mix of all kinds of different people. And I see that very same thing going on in other fellowships where this very same thing, this identification is what makes it so important that that's what goes on in that room and not get all cluttered up and mixed up with uh, with a bunch of other things. And um, so that's what I had out of the big book. Um, in the 12 and 12, on page uh, 150, and running over onto 151, um, it's about Tradition 5. <clears throat> and this this is such a... a or this was pounded into my head way back. Shoemaker, stick to thy last. Better do one thing supremely well than many badly. This is the central theme of this tradition. Around it, our society gathers in unity. The very life of our fellowship requires the preservation of this principle. And like we know, like, you know, uh, last year, AA was 75 years old. It'll be 76 this, this coming year, or this year. And it's been tried and tested and proven. Uh, lots of mistakes have been made. We survived them, but by sticking to the tradition, this is what has kept us in one piece. And I know that a lot of times the traditions aren't very popular, and it's just kind of like the steps. The only time I get in trouble is when I'm trying to sneak around the end of a step or a tradition. And many times you can become very unpopular by bringing up the tradition when the popular theme is to do something else. And people look at you like some kind of old fuddy-duddy or somebody who's extremely rigid. And But I know that this program saved my life. I know that. And I have many friends that I drank with whose lives have been saved. And many that I've come to know since I got into AA, their lives have been saved. And I know that there's, there's I've got grandchildren that are probably coming to this. And there's people who aren't even born yet that are still on their way to this program for help. And I consider it, uh, like Bob said, it's, Dr. Bob said, it's, uh, it's my duty uh, to, to make sure that this is still here for them just the way it was for me when I showed up. My sponsor tells me all the time, and he says it in a lot of meetings, he says, I just feel so blessed and so lucky that when I showed up, the door was open, the book was open, and the coffee was on. And I think about that when I think back to the time when Bill and Bob were starting this and they and they didn't even have the traditions yet and how scary it was, you know, like their first Christmas hanging on to each other because they thought they were all going to get drunk and how this thing has grown to where we have a lot of experience that we can look at and rely on. And I, the thing that is so important is that these traditions have kept us alive. It protects AA from people just like me and from Bill and and a lot of the others of us who really think we need to start changing this. I was the kind of guy that, you know, I was out there drowning on a sea of alcoholism, and and all of a sudden I, I found this raft, and I jumped on this raft, which was AA, and I got on there, and I was so grateful, and within just a few days I started drying up, and the next thing you know I want to remodel the raft. And know what's going to happen to that raft then? It's going to sink. It was doing quite well before I showed up. It was saving people. Yet I get on there and I want to start overhauling it and sink it, and it won't be of any good to anybody. These are the things that I really have to watch. On page 150 in the 12 and 12, the last column, the last paragraph down there, it says, Just as firmly bound by obligation are the members of Alcoholics Anonymous, who have demonstrated that they can help problem drinkers as no others seldom can. The unique ability of each AA to identify himself with and bring recovery to the newcomer 
in no way depends upon his learning, eloquence, or any special individual skill. The only thing that matters is that he is an alcoholic who has found a key to sobriety. These legacies of suffering and the recovery are easily passed among the alcoholics one to the other. This is our gift from God. And uh, just down at the end of the next paragraph, um, it says on the end, For us, if we neglect those who are still sick, there is unremitting danger to our own lives and sanity. And I just, I, I, I read those things and I really take them to heart and I know like in a vision for you in the big book where it says we knew we had to carry this message to other alcoholics to stay sober. But later, this feeling was transcended by a totally different feeling, and that was uh, wanting to help them just to help them because we cared for them. And I know that that's what this program does. And it, and it for me, what it does <clears throat> is it helps me to, to grow. And it, the more I stayed with it and the longer I did it, I started finding out I was getting something out of it no matter what happened uh, with them. I mean, I really wanted them to get sober, and I really wanted to help them if I could, but I knew if I already had the experience of how much it helped me. My first 12-step call, I don't know if I told you guys this, but I I helped set up the answering service, and I didn't realize what I was doing that. There was only three of us, and I put my name first, so all the calls were coming to me until I figured that out. And I got one one day, and I couldn't find anybody to go with me, so I went by myself, which isn't the brightest deal. But I went over there, and it was this guy sitting in his house, and he was drinking whiskey out of a big glass. And he was, and I got in there and was trying to talk to him about AA and sobriety, and he was trying to tell me about how he was a a green beret and how tough he was and how many people he could whip. And, and what he wanted me to do was to go over to the local office and pick up his uh, his food stamps for him. And I kept trying to talk to him about AA, and he kept trying to run this big tough guy stuff on me and the, and the food stamp thing. And finally, I didn't know what to do. I just finally told him, I said, look, pal, if you're so tough, you can drag your carcass down there and pick up your own food stamps. But if you ever want to talk to us about getting sober or staying sober or getting help with the drinking, please call us back, and I left. And I went right over to one of the clubs, and I grabbed an old-timer, and I said, I think I just killed an alcoholic. And he asked me what I did, and I told him, and he said, no, you did just fine. You should have had somebody else with you, but you can't you can't save them all, but you just you showing up was the most important thing you did. And I've learned, I learned a lot from that. And uh, I know that in this, in this whole process, there is so much to learn, but the, the, the key things are that we're here to help people. Whatever whatever fellowship we're in, and I've been witnessing this in a couple of different fellowships throughout the time I've been sober, that that's exactly the same thing as setting those rooms with people who are just like yourself and be feeling comfortable that you can talk about it if they understand and they don't care what kind of crimes or whatever else you've done in your life. They're there because we have the same exact problem that's killing us. And that's what is so important that, that that's what those rooms have is, is for that. Whether you be Al-Anon or SA or GA or, or whatever it is, only you feel like these people understand because they have been there. Um, there's Dr. Silkwood told us, and that's on page 152 of the, of the 12 and 12, right in that first paragraph bottom of it. It says, doesn't, uh, doesn't he tell him about the guy that he's got in there that he can work with? And this is a non-alcoholic of label. He says, doesn't sound too good, does it? But working with him may do something for you, so why don't you have a go at it? And that's it. That's what we do, and that's why we stick to our singleness of purpose. That's our tradition. This is what we have to offer. And over on page 153, you get down about halfway through the page, and um says, well, said I, I think you're, you're, he's talking to this guy trying to get his attention to help him. And the guy's really blustering up and chasing him off and accusing him of trying to convert him to some other religion. And finally, when he says, uh, I, I know what's wrong. And the guy says, okay, give me the business. And he says, well, 
than I. I think you're just a conceited Irishman who thinks you can run the whole show. And what a what a thing to say. And I know that a lot of people won't say something like that, but sometimes that's what's called for. And it isn't we're not in emotions and honest, but sometimes we have to be very straightforward with what we say and not be hinting around, worried about hurting their feelings. It's this is life and death, whatever fellowship you're in. And I know that reaching them, sometimes we can we can speak that way because we're sharing exactly what went on with us. And I know that on the last page of this of, of the tradition five and the twelve and twelve he says, my sponsor sold me one idea, and that idea was sobriety. At the time, I couldn't have bought anything else. That's what that old Irishman said. They got his chain jerked a little bit there. And I know that sometimes we have to be very, uh, it can seem very blunt, but it's not brutal. I've, I've heard the term tough love used a lot around the fellowship, and sometimes I've seen it abused. Tough love means saying something that you really don't like to say, but you've got to say it anyway. Loving them enough to say it. It doesn't mean being brutal and beating people up and calling it love. I've seen that, too. But what it is is sometimes we're uncomfortable with some of the things we might have to say, but we do it out of love, but not to hurt. And I know that boy, some of them old-timers and some of them, especially some of the ladies when I first sobered up, they really... They let me have it, and they were just lovingly blunt about it. Um, I didn't care for it, but they really helped me by just doing exactly that. Okay, on uh, A comes of age, we're going to slip up to page 106. I get to it myself. Okay. And here... Bill writes a, a great amount of stuff on this iPhone. But uh, one of the things it says uh, under Tradition 5 on page 106, it says, uh, we think we should do one thing well rather than many things to which we are not called. That is the central idea of this tradition. Our society gathers in unity around this concept. The very life of our fellowship requires its preservation. Shoemakers stick to thy laugh. There's no dull cliché for Alcoholics Anonymous. Together we have found a substantial remedy for a terrible malady. Um, and then down, just a couple of sentences down, it says, we can and we do help as individuals in those fields, talking about um, education and, and the fields of education, research, neurosis, and the like, we can and do help as individuals in those fields. That is good. But as a fellowship, we know that we must not be diverted. And then it says, it is our experience as alcoholics that makes us of unique value on our sector of the total alcoholic front. And to me, that is so fantastic that it just keeps pounding at home and pounding at home that what I really have to offer is not my brilliance or money or whatever else I might want to throw at it, it's my experience as an alcoholic that I share openly and freely with the still-suffering alcoholic. Uh, we, it, on the top of page 107, it says, We know that theology is for clergymen and that the practice of medicine and psychiatry is for doctors. Certainly, we can do together what we cannot do separately, and we shall always cooperate but never compete. We shall direct our energies where they count most. Most emphatically, then, AA has but one single purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. This is our basic objective and our real reason for existence. And I I really can appreciate that because I, I see some places, and I'm sure it happens wherever all of you are living, that we, we can get into some things. And there's some, let's say, groups that are not, maybe as focused as they could be, um, that they, they get off into a whole bunch of other things and they try to multitask and, and try to help everybody. And that's a natural feeling, I think, for alcoholics or anybody who finally starts getting help for whatever malady they're suffering from. And we start feeling good and we want to help others. And sometimes, thank God for these traditions, that they help keep us directed as to who we can help and that we can't help 
everybody else. And in this uh, pamphlet that I put on there, P16, for those of you who have it, there's a couple of things in there. I just This pamphlet is conference approved by the General Service Conference of AA. And uh, it's I've been using it a lot lately, trying to help inform some of the folks in our group, our home group, uh, as to why we're there and what we're not there for. And on this uh, page five, it's the same one that you can look up on the Internet. And on page five, it talks about AA single purpose. Uh, and in the second paragraph, it talks about, uh, well, no, I'm going to read the whole piece here. This is all by Bill W. written back in 1955. This tradition five, each group has the one primary purpose to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. There are those who predict that AA may well become a new spearhead for a spiritual awakening throughout the world. When our friends say these things, they are both generous and sincere. And we of AA must reflect that such a tribute and such a prophecy would well prove to be a heavy drink for most of us. That is, if we really came to believe this to be the real purpose of AA, and if we commence to have to behave accordingly. Our society, therefore, will prudently plead to its single purpose, the carrying of the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Let us resist the proud assumption that since God has enabled us to do well in one area, we are destined to be a channel of saving grace for everybody. That's, boy, can we ever get slide off into doing something like that. We're going to straighten everybody out. On the very next page, on 6, one of the things that it talks about in um, about the two, one, two, three, fourth paragraph, it says, at the personal level, anonymity assures privacy for all members, a safeguard often of special significance to newcomers who may hesitate to seek help in AA if they have any reason to believe their alcoholism may be exposed publicly. And I, this this is a really important piece here, which helps where what this tradition helps towards it and helps us to focus to, is no matter when we start getting well, we start not being so concerned about a lot of the stuff sometimes. Whatever fellowship we're in, and I know that in some fellowships, anonymity is, is even more important than it is in AA, uh, because of some of the stuff that can happen with the media. But in this, this is so important. New people need to know that they come into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and not worry about all kinds of people sitting in there wanting to take notes on them or record what they saw and heard, uh, wherever, whoever they are. That is one of the main reasons that it is so important for a group, whenever they have meetings, when they announce that it is an open or a closed meeting, that is jargon that we understand within the fellowship, whichever fellowship you're in. We understand that. New people don't know what you mean by closed or open. Some of them even think that when you say it's closed that they can't come in because they didn't get their membership card or something. We have to really make sure that we're not using jargon on brand new people or visitors who are who are not alcoholics when we're having a closed meeting, they need to understand what a closed meeting is. And the same with the open meeting. And in this pamphlet, just a little further on, it, it gives some of those readings. But if we do anything to scare somebody off because they think they're going to be observed by somebody who is not an alcoholic, who doesn't understand, or for whatever reason, they, they need to know that their anonymity is safe there. And that's one of the things that is so important. And I, a lot of times, we just forget that since we know what open and closed means, well, I'd say there's a lot of people who understand what open and closed is. There's a lot of folks who don't. But we really need to to uh, stress this more that people do understand what they're getting into. On page 8 of this P16, it says, um, in the first concept of the Alcoholics Anonymous, it says the final responsibility and ultimate authority for AA World Services should always reside in the collective conscience of our whole fellowship. And where does that start? The AA group, the final voice of the fellowship. And it said, and just down in the next paragraph, it said the entire structure of AA depends upon the participation and conscience of the individual groups 
and how each of these groups conducts its affairs has a ripple effect on AA everywhere. Thus, we are ever individually conscious of our responsibility for our own sobriety and as a group for carrying the AA message to a still-suffering alcoholic who reaches out to us for help. On the next page, it says, Most of us cannot recover unless there is real fit. Realization dawns on each member that he is but a small part of a great whole. And it says, it it becomes plain that the group must survive or the individual will not. These are so important. That if the, if the group disappeared, if they disappeared, where would we, where would we be? And I know that in some towns there's a lot of groups, uh, available or registered, but we're talking about the demise of all of this stuff because we don't follow these traditions and stick to our singleness of purpose. This is, uh, I, I gotta tell you right now, this isn't written down anywhere exactly like I'm gonna say this, but I really feel like God gave these 12 steps in this way of, of out of such a terrible malady as alcoholism. And he picked the most obvious folks there was around, all the alcoholics, because we infect every part of society, and every sex, every color, creed, every nation. And I think it was so that people would say, well, if it can help those fools, maybe it can help us with our problem. And consequently, AA has been asked by many other fellowships people with terrible maladies to allow them to use the 12 steps and the traditions and fit them to their purpose uh, for their specific problem. And AA has been willing, more than willing, to say, yes, please go ahead. And I don't know the exact number, but I know it's pushing up towards the 200 mark of uh, all all the different fellowships that have asked for that help. And the most amazing thing is is it works the same way as it does for AA, but that's because <clears throat> when you get into the excuse me for the cough, when you get into these fellowships, it's the people sitting in there together with the same common problem have that bond, and they can trust each other, and they can help, and they can help the people that come to them for help with that specific malady to have faith in them and to take these steps to help them. I know that for Alcoholics Anonymous, Excuse me. I know that for Alcoholics Anonymous, but this alcoholic, that is a saving grace. That has helped me so much. And I thank God, too, that I had a sponsor that, that didn't even ask me if I wanted to be in service. He just started doing it. You know, I ended up, I was putting chairs up, washing ashtrays, cups, and, and every time I'd ask a question about something, I'd seem like I got volunteered for something else. And so I got put into service structure. And, and I'll have to tell you honestly, I think the service structure of Alcoholics Anonymous was put together just to help crush the ego of some of us who couldn't have it crushed any other way. In the service structure is where I finally learned how to play in the sandbox with all the other kids and uh, learn how to be able to have spirited debates and talk about things but not get so belligerent about it and become um, totally disagreeable to even be around. That this, this the service structure really really changed how I behave with other people, and in this I have found that it has really helped with Alcoholics Anonymous in the job in the in the position that I've been able to serve in, to be able to do it with some diplomacy rather than trying to cram it down people's neck. Before I got to AA, my philosophy was that if you didn't agree with what I thought. I would try to change your mind, and if that wasn't working, I'd try to change your face. And what I learned in AA, that's not what we do, and we do it in a much more loving and tolerant way. And that's exactly one of the things these last many years that I've been talking a lot about is love and tolerance. It doesn't mean tolerating everything that comes goes on inside the room. It just means having love and tolerance for the person who's suffering, even if they show up at the, at the wrong door we can help guide them to where they can get their help. But to tell them that we're going to fix them, uh, that can be deadly. It has killed people. Okay, when we get over to page 11 in this pamphlet, P16, uh, on page 11 at the very top, 
It says the, the main difference between meetings and groups is that AA groups generally continue to exist outside the prescribed meeting hours, ready to provide 12-step help when needed. And that's a, there's a, a lot of stuff that used to be written in this pamphlet a long time ago about um, the difference between meetings and uh, groups. And there can be all kinds of meetings that people can have, and they can be from different, uh, you know, they could be uh, uh, drug addicts and alcoholics and Al-Anons and Ethanons and FAAs could all gather together and have a meeting together. But just don't try to call it an AA meeting or an SA meeting. It's just a meeting of people who have some similar interests. They want to talk about that. That's not a group. Um, it's just a special meeting that has nothing to do with any of the fellowships. It's just people joining together. That was kind of hard for me to understand at first. But with this, our group, our home group, the home group that I belong to is called the Traditions Group. And our, our job is we, to me, it's like we took out a franchise for Alcoholics Anonymous. And our job is to provide the best possible meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that we can for the person who comes through that door looking for help with their alcoholism. Therefore, it needs to be focused on recovery. And uh, that is why our, in our group, we only pick our topics out of the big book in the 12 and 12, and then we share on that, and we share about recovery. And uh, it's amazing the amount of new people that are coming and staying with that. Um, but I know that that's one of the things that we had our group. We are responsible to AA, to the to the fellowship of AA, and uh, we like to stay that way and stay read up on on all of our stuff that that makes a difference of what kind of a meeting we we do, uh, and how we participate in the rest of the service structure to have a voice and to lend that voice uh, for everybody to hear. Um, okay, then right down below. It says the difference between open and closed AA meetings. Preamble states, uh, the purpose of all AA group meetings as a preamble state is for AA members to share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. Both this end, AA groups have both open and closed meetings. And this, and here there's a lot of misunderstanding about what open and closed meetings are. Closed meetings are, and this is right out of this pamphlet, it's, uh, and this is conference approved, um, and this latest edition on this one was, a, was revised in 2005. Closed meetings are for AA members only, or for those who have a drinking problem and have a desire to stop drinking. That's very clear cut. I know that in our in our third tradition, a lot of times, a lot of people try to run with the fact that it says, well, all you have to have is a desire to stop drinking. Well, it took me a while to figure that out. And what anybody who's not an alcoholic doesn't have a desire to stop drinking. They just don't drink. Alcoholics can't seem to stop. That's why alcoholics have a desire to stop drinking. It's something that we're incapable of on our own, and that's why we have this problem, why we seek out help. But a lot of people read that into the fact that, well, if they just don't want to have a drink today, that means they can be a member, which that, that's kind of, that, that not even kind of, that stretch of the way out path, what it's intended to be. Okay, now it says open meetings are available to anyone interested in Alcoholics Anonymous program of recovery from alcoholism. Non-alcoholics may attend open meetings as observers. As both types of meetings, the AA chairperson may request that participants confine their discussion to matters pertaining to recovery from alcoholism. Whether open or closed, AA group meetings are conducted by AA members who de determine the format of their meeting. And this is really important. I've, I've been at meetings where somebody's in there and, and it's just before the meeting and they'll say, well, there's an element sitting there that just says, why don't you chair today, or you pick the topic, or whatever. And, and uh, it's an AA meeting that's led, and it's done by AA members. And how we treat the people that come in there is really important to us, that we do it with love and tolerance, and that we show this love and tolerance, that 
that's the reason we have open AA meetings. A lot of times for family members to come and see what AA is all about. And sometimes there are schools. We have a deal here. We've got three colleges, Billy. And we, we always went up there to those professors and made sure they had a meeting list that had open meetings marked down for them for the ones who were sending their students to these meetings to see what an AA meeting was. The ones who were studying to be doctors and stuff or, or psychiatrists or whatever that would be dealing with people in the field of alcoholism. We wanted to make sure that they came to the right meeting. We also asked the professor to please have your people not bring notebooks and take notes during the meeting. He said that makes alcoholics very nervous because they think they're being reported on and it's going to be in the papers or whatever else. So by doing some good uh, cooperation with the professional community work and, P- and public information work, we were able to help this happen so that the real true meeting of, of open meetings were done, and therefore we could carry on what our purpose is. Our purpose is to help the still-suffering alcoholic. And when people come to us, <clears throat> a lot of people say nobody comes through the door by mistake, and I totally agree with that. But it's what we do once they come there is the most important. Because it's a lot of times, Alcoholics Anonymous is the most obvious bunch on the block. They're in the newspapers, and, and that meeting's all when people talk about it. So they come there for help. And what we find, a lot of times, people come to AA for help that aren't alcoholics. Sometimes they're, it's their loved one. And I know that in our group, I know my wife took somebody and took them over to an open meeting so they could attend it. And there's been people that have shown up there that were straight drug addicts. And I've called friends of mine that are drug addicts and had them come down and, and take them off to an NA meeting. Just because they show up there doesn't mean that we need to open the doors and let them just come on in and sit down. And sometimes we can do them harm, such as what it said in there. If we start thinking that we can solve everybody's problem, we're in real trouble. And if we talk about everything in our meeting under the book, everything under the sun, uh, we get way off track of what our singleness of purpose is. And I, I believe back when we covered the uh, third tradition, we talked about that, about the fellow who finally was allowed to come in, even though he had a problem that was much more stigmatized than alcoholism, is that when they said to come on in, he came in, and he just got right in and was helping people, you know, uh, get people in and help them sober up and everything. He says, but he never bothered them with his other problem again, troubled him with his other problem again. And that's what we have. People get into uh, both uh, meetings sometimes. They go to different meetings, and they become members of two different fellowships. That's not my case, but in some cases that really helps people. But I know that for us, we have to be very careful what we do with our message and what we do with our meetings, and we can be very misleading. On page 16 of this uh, pamphlet, the AA group, on the third, on the second paragraph, so the full paragraph, it says the primary purpose of any AA group is to carry the AA method to alcoholic. That's in our town. Experience with alcohol is one thing, <clears throat> excuse me, all AA members have in common. It is misleading to hint or give the impression that AA solves other problems or knows what to do about drug addiction. That's very clear, very concise, that it gets a lot of argument. And I know that we get a lot of people in AA that want to argue that a drug is a drug is a drug, and we get into all kinds of things, but if we really read our traditions and stick to that, we can help people find the help that they need, and we can also be there, especially for the alcoholic. Otherwise, we start diluting our uh, message. Um, just back a little bit farther on page 22. Pretty soon I'll be done here, and then everybody's going to get joke in. On page 22, it says, uh, uh, How can newcomers be reached and helped? It says, Should an AA group let the public know how to obtain information on open AA meetings? Some groups do, but for only one week. Let the community know of the availability of help for alcoholics through our program. And I think, and it goes on to talk about where you can put these notices in the paper, different different places. But that's really important. But it's it's not 
to get, get all kinds of people in there. It's just so that people who are dealing with alcoholics, have alcoholics in their family or alcoholics themselves, see in the paper that there's a meeting of, of, of AA pop over here, or for whatever fellowship you may belong to, be it SA or Al-Anon or TA or OA, uh, I've seen, I've seen lots of them and lots of different, different fellowships and people go there, emotions anonymous and, and all kinds of them. People go there for that specific reason. For us, we just want people to know where people with alcohol, suffering from alcoholism, should find the help that they need. Um, in our last video on here is on page 26 and 27. And this is principles before personality. Um, it says there on, on, at the bottom of page 26, it says, on sensitive issues, the group works slowly, discouraging formal motions until a clear sense of its collective view emerges. Placing principles before personalities, the membership is wary of dominant opinion. Its voice is heard when a well-informed group arrives at a decision. The result rests on more than yes or no count, precisely because it is the spiritual expression of the group conscience. The term informed group conscience implies that pertinent information has been studied and all views have been heard before the group votes. And I definitely have to tell you that I have been a participant in many group conscience decisions. And there was a whole lot of them that were uninformed and they were bad decisions. But it, and when they were, everybody was informed and we had discussed it thoroughly and we, and we all thought we covered everything and we made a bad decision. It was, we all did it together. It wasn't like we were picking out somebody that led us down the path. But when we do these things together, we can do a much, much better job and, and make better decisions. It's like reading this literature like we're doing today, talking about these traditions knowing what the history of AA is and knowing what the traditions mean and the concepts, that we, we don't do things just based on my feeling. It's on it's on actual information and history of what has happened before and trying to do the very best that we can to make sure that AA stays here and is available for anybody who comes here who is an alcoholic. On the, And one thing about group conscience decisions and group business stuff, it says uh, on page 29, the last paragraph, it says, and this is really, really important, almost every group problem can be solved through the process of an informed group conscience, AA principles, and our 12 traditions. Some groups find that their GSR or DCM can be helpful. We're all involved a good sense of humor, cooling off periods, patience and prudence, willingness to listen and to wait, Plus, a sense of fairness and trust in a power greater than ourselves have been found far more effective than legalistic arguments or personal accusation. And, boy, I can definitely say yes, that is, that is the deal, because just fortunately at our last business meeting, uh, we had, a, we had made a motion and passed actions that all of our business meetings had to end, um, at 9.30. You only wanted to go an hour and a half, which seemed long to a lot of people, but we really get into it. And at the last one, it was really getting heated and the clock ran out and we had to stop. So we all got to say the Lord's Prayer, join hands and walk out and then start going to meetings for another month until we come to the next one. And uh, it's been a really good cooling off period here, trying to put out more information for everybody to read. There is, there is one other item. It's a piece of paper. And it's called, um, it's called F2, and it's, uh, it's Information on Alcoholics Anonymous. It's available on the AA website. And this is a piece of paper that I have used many, many times over the years, uh, in dealing with, uh, professionals and actually helping to inform some of our own fellowship. But it's, it's worked especially good with, uh, Professional. Uh, it's a piece of paper that's it says for anyone new coming to AA, or for anyone referring people to AA. And it says at the top of the page that 
this information is both for people who may have a drinking problem and for those in contact with people who have or are suspected of having a problem. Most of the information is available in more detail in literature published by AA World Services, Inc. This sheet tells what to expect from Alcoholics Anonymous. It describes what AA did, what AA does, and what AA does not do. And I'll tell you what, this piece of paper has been so great for handing to professionals and really let them know. And there's a, a real exceptional part, and that is... Uh, well, it says, what is AA? Alcoholics Anonymous is an international fellowship of men and women who have had a drinking problem. It is non-professional, self-supporting, multiracial, apolitical, and available almost everywhere. There are no age or education requirements. Membership is open to anyone who wants to do something about his or her drinking problem. And then here comes the, the really good part that really pertains to what we're talking about today. Singleness of purpose and problems other than alcohol. Some professionals refer to alcoholism and drug addiction as substance abuse or chemical dependence. Non-alcoholics, therefore, are therefore sometimes introduced to AA and encouraged to attend AA meetings. Anyone may attend open AA meetings, but only those with a drinking problem may attend closed meetings. This next part, uh, over the years I've seen this change. Three different doctors uh, who were Class A trustees for AA, uh, two, I should have had their name on here, and now they've removed the doctor's names that just said that this comes from them. A renowned psychiatrist who served as a non-alcoholic trustee of the AA General Service Board made the following statement. Singleness of purpose is essential to the effective treatment of alcoholism. The, re the reason for such exaggerated focus is to overcome denial. The denial associated with alcoholism is cunning, baffling, and powerful and affects the patient, the helper, and the community. Unless alcoholism is kept relentlessly in the foreground, other issues will usurp everybody's attention. And uh, I think that, that the rest of it goes on and talks about different programs and of attendance, literature, and, and all kinds of stuff. But that is a very, very useful piece of uh, information on what AA is and what it what it does and doesn't do. And uh, I have found it extremely helpful. It, it actually it is really helpful to hand to members within the fellowship that haven't read anything else. They can read this, and sometimes it piques their curiosity to go on into other literature and study that. So, with that, folks, um, I'm sure there's got to be a few questions or uh, don't worry about hurting my feelings. Uh, whatever you want to talk about or say about it, I'd like to hear uh, any input that anybody has on that. Well, this is Bob, and uh, thank you for that, Bob. You know, you mentioned several times the uh, admonition Shoemaker stick to the last. And I didn't know what a last was. Oh. Did you ever find out? Yeah, I looked it up. And, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people don't know what that is. It's a, a, a form that's shaped like a human foot. And the shoemakers used it to, uh, when they're either making or repairing shoes, to mold or shape the, uh, the fabric of the shoe. And it comes from the uh, uh, Middle English, which comes from the Old English, last, L-A-E-S-T, which means the sole of the foot. So yeah, I think I've... that they were saying shoemakers stick to that last. It's kind of like mm -hmm. focus on what you're doing and you're not a hat maker. Yeah, that's, you know, that's fantastic because I, I, I ran across that and at first, you know, I just read it. I just read it and I thought, well, it means stick to what you know. But really, I really love the fact that that's what it meant, that that's what shapes, when you're, when you're sewing the material around this, this shape, what you end up with is a shoe, not a basketball. And I think that's the, the warning that they, they wanted to give us is, Stick to what, you know, this is going to work, and it'll work for alcoholics, but be careful. Don't get carried away and start trying to build other stuff out of it. And I think the way it has worked 
so good is the same, the same thing, stick to thy last, has been passed on to all the other fellowships who use this. The, the other thing that I wanted to comment on as far as the tradition of primary purpose and carrying the message is the result of the practical application of that. And I've been involved in corrections for many years. And I'll relate an incident. Um, and there's been a couple over the years. But uh, when I was down in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, we were invited by the uh, psychologist running the, uh, the treatment portion of the Naval Consolidated Brig, Charleston, to uh, start an AA meeting there. And, you know, the head of uh, this program said, you know, met with us. I happened to be involved in the uh, corrections committee, and a couple of us went out, and we told them what we needed. What we wanted was, you know, the uh, a place to hang, a regular meeting place where we could hang our scrolls, you know, the 12 steps and 12 traditions, and have a cabinet for our literature or footlock or something where we could keep the, the literature there. And, uh, and that we wanted 12 people to clear, get security clearance that we, we could bring in on a regular basis. And, um, and coffee. And they said, well, there's not going to be a coffee, but we will get your, you people cleared and we'll get your place and blah, blah, blah. Well, never happened. You know, we had five people that were cleared and we were meeting in a different room every time and uh, sometimes people would get turned away at the gate, even though they had the clearance. And this went on for about a year, and finally we just, you know, this is untenable, and we pulled a plug. We just said, we're not going to uh, cooperate with uh, you anymore because you're not helping us. And, uh, and about three months after that, I got a call from the commanding officer with the brig wanting to know why AA wouldn't bring a meeting in there anymore. I said, well, I would love to talk to you about that, and, uh, and I would like an appointment. And uh, so I got an appointment, and three of us went out and sat down and talked to the commanding officer, and she had her chief of security there and the executive officer. And they started telling me their side of the story on one thing or another. And she said, you know, AA doesn't do much, but we do it really good. And what we want is scrolls for the walls, a regular place to meet, place for our literature, because when we're not there, you know, it's hard to stay sober on one meeting a week. And we want 16 people cleared. Uh, I mean, you want exposure to a wide variety of recovery experiences. And I mean, if you had one television program a week and you only had two or three people on it, it'd be boring as hell. I mean, you just wouldn't want to watch it. And, uh, and, you know, and I don't know why, but since there's been AA meetings and, and coffee and donuts or coffee and cookies or something, right. and the security person said, well, we can't put that many people in and, and, and all these reasons that 9-11 had happened and, you know, they were starting to hold domestic terrorists there and, and commanding officer looked down and said, make it happen. And I said, what about the coffee? And the executive officer started saying that the, uh, not the commissary, but the, uh, the chow hall was closed and was after hours now and then. And the commanding officer said, make it happen. Make it decaf, but make it happen. And, uh, and that was it. And we got that meeting started and it was so successful and made such a difference on the inmate population. That I think, well, within the year, we were up to two meetings, and I think there might be a third one at this point. That same approach has been used uh, at other facilities, and it's like, you know, we don't do much, and we're not distracted by a lot of stuff, but what we do, we do really good as long as we stick to our primary purpose of carrying the message, and we do that by focusing on the literature, I believe. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. I I I'm wholeheartedly with you on that, and it's it's so important. 
for us to have a good working relationship with the people in charge of these institutions. And that's what the, the CPC or the Cooperation with the Professional Community is, Committee is about. And going in there and you, you gotta have, uh, some diplomacy and, and just go in there and talk it over with them, explain exactly who we are and what we are. And it's amazing how you can, uh, defuse some of that. We were just at the psych ward, uh, last night, uh, the wife night and, uh, went in there to, uh, take the message into some people. And I've been doing that for over 20 years in that place. But at one time we got thrown out because one of the members that was going in there happened to have been involved in being treated for some other things and different types of drugs. And he got in there and was trying to straighten everybody out on the drugs and stuff, the people who were in there as patients. And we got thrown out. And so two of us went back over there and asked for an audience with, with the lady who ran it. And boy, was she hot when we came in. She wouldn't even look at us. But by the time we left there that day, she was really happy that we had been there, and we had a uh, we had a workshop set up for the next week with a panel of AA members to speak to the whole uh, all of the, the people that worked there at the psych ward, so that they could understand better what AA was about. And that's and that's what you know. It's, it wasn't just the two of us that went there. It was that AA was carried in there and explained. And that is so important that those channels of communication. They open, and I know that it helps us a lot when we have at least just one or two numbers. That if they have a problem, they can call those one or two numbers and get a hold of somebody who knows what they're talking about. And it works the same way for us calling them. That we don't have to go through a whole line of people. If we have a couple of numbers that we can call, and it really keeps things from getting all uh, twisted up in a, in a just a mire. Good point. Really important. Bob, this is Ed. Yeah, Ed. You mentioned earlier about tough love, and it was, I was reminded um, when you were talking about that what uh, I learned from Robert. Um, say what you mean, mean what you say, don't say it mean. And um, I uh, had to make amends for saying things uh, mean and, and had to learn um, to kind of gauge um trying to get my point across and, and not saying it mean and um so um, I appreciate what you had to share um about that. Yeah, I uh, before I got to AA I had a, a rapier like tongue. I mean I could slice dice people. It was one of my best defense mechanisms to drive them off. You know, instead of you know I didn't have to get physical with everybody, but boy with that tongue I could just chase them off and after being in AA for a while, I thought I was pretty well cured up and, and refined. And I found out that I still have the same saber. It's just in a different scabbard. And I've had to uh, really, you know, man, I have to really catch myself. Uh, you know, it's like pause a second before you answer. You know, top 10 type thing. And it has really helped uh, to, you know, ask God into it real quick. Like, just say, God, help me with this answer. And this worked a lot better. And as, as years go on, I get I get better at it. But well, I have to watch it because every now and then it can it can be harmful, and I don't even realize it at first. But it's well, I know that tough love thing. I watched people in AA just brutalize people, and uh, that's not what we're about. Anybody else? Well, I know that right now in the in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, and and I and I and I know that in a few other fellowships, this is a problem, especially in this one right here, in 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 our third tradition and our fifth tradition. There's a there's there's a, a lot of uh, oh relaxed attitude towards these traditions, and uh, just anything goes in the meetings and. You can talk about anything you want in the meetings. And I really, I said it in some of those meetings, and it just is so diluted. I had, uh, I may have shared this with you, that there was a young couple coming through town, and I knew their, I knew his sponsor. They were just married, and, and but I knew his sponsor, and 
<laughs> he's giving me my name, and so they called me when they were just outside of town and wanted to go to a meeting that night, and there was the only one that I could get them to that night uh, was a meeting that I really don't choose to go too much because it's so far off the wall. I mean, uh, they got so much going on in there. There's it's there's kids crawling around on the floor and they're stepping over them before cops get. The profanity is like unbelievable. I mean, it's just skating in there, and it's an AA meeting. And I, right up front, I'm gonna tell you, I have no problem with with uh, addicts. I've got a lot of friends who are addicts and go to NA and go to AA both. But at this meeting over there, it's open to anybody who wants to share. And now some nights they're handing out medallions for society, and they've got addicts giving out medallions uh, to addicts. So that when I told those people I'd take them there, I said, you, if things go really, really good, it's going to sound almost like AA when they go there. I said, if it goes south on it, you're not going to believe what you hear. And man, I looked over at them once and their eyes were just wide open. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. And when we left, I asked them, well, what did you think? And they said, we're really glad we have a home group. Because <laughs> it was, it was really, and that meeting there was one of the groups I used to go to when I was new. Because there were some good, strong old-timers in there, and it was a great meeting. But it has gotten to be... I know that just two nights after I had those people there, another a friend of mine went over there to that meeting, and the topic was Oxycontin for an AA meeting. And, I, I, you know, and everybody, every group has the right to be wrong. But I, I just, I really, it, it just makes me shudder thinking that you know, you get somebody who's suffering from alcoholism goes in there and they hear that and they think, that's not for me. And so they walk away calling it AA. That's the danger that lies there. We kill people with that kind of stuff. And it's just, uh, you know, I have to just do what I can in my own home group and try to do like what we're doing here, help people to hear these traditions and the history in a, in a setting where they're more able to listen to them, like having a uh, traditions workshop, which boy, you can have a lot of empty seats in one of those. I think that uh, well, when I get in a meeting and it starts getting far off the beam, I will uh, generate a lot of resentments. But it's better to get resentments and get them right. But uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, Bill Wilson writes in the pamphlet, Questions Other Than Alcohol, that the sole purpose of an AA meeting, not one of the purposes or a purpose, but the sole purpose of an AA meeting is sobriety from alcohol through the teaching and practice of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I guess it would be well served to, you know, uh, amend that the same way. The sole purpose of an essay meeting is sobriety from lust uh, through the practice and teaching of the 12 steps of Sexaholics Anonymous. And, you know, when we do let meetings get off that, then I think that, or I, I think that when we encounter that as old-timers, we have an obligation and a responsibility to try and bring the meeting back on focus and when we, you know, what it says in the big book is like, my mind is like a magical magnifying glass. When I focus it on the problem, the problem gets bigger. When I focus it on the solution, the solution gets bigger. And the solution is in our literature. Absolutely. That that uh, that pamphlet you were just talking about is problems other than alcohol, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, and there's another one that's got AA members, medications and other drugs, and that's that one's a, a little bit different than that, but the problem is with an alcohol. I just I I made an order to New York and got a whole bunch of those, plus the pamphlet, the AA group, and other informative stuff to make sure our group had plenty of those. And in those, it it is very specific. It, it's laid out very clearly what what AA is about, and it's just that you know when people don't read that, and like at one of our meetings where we were discussing this. There was people weighing in on this that had been sober a while, but they had never read the book or studied anything about traditions or any of that. And that really is where you get a lot of uh, opinions and emotions running wild in these meetings. It makes it very tough. But I know uh, I 
quite some time back, I had to really look at it and decide that uh, I got into it to get to help other alcoholics, not to be popular. <laughs> and, uh, boy, if you want to be not popular, bring up the traditions a few extra times. They, don't, they really don't care to hear from me. But to me, it, it doesn't really, it isn't all about that. It's, it's life and death we're dealing with here. And I think it's the same way for SA and NA and, and all of them. It's, if we start mixing this stuff up, we, we lose our message. And we also, like I said, people will come there for help with their specific malady and come in there and hear a whole bunch of stuff going on and think, well, that's not for me, and they just walk off, thinking that that's what it's all about. They just did They just hit the, the, the floor meeting. And I've had people that said that they went to one a few years back, and that's what they hit, and so they walked away from it, thinking that that's what it was. That's all there was to offer. I wish there was just a way we could line them all out. That was a joke, by the way. Anybody else got anything? Well, I'd like to thank you very much, Bob, for your, yeah, thank you, Bob. Uh, your effort on our thank behalf. You, Bob. Well, thank you guys for this venue to do this. I just, I love it. And I, I love talking about the traditions and the concepts and, and history of AA. I just love it. And uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. And these right here are, the one we're talking about today is, is really a big one. Uh, I know that tradition one is the one that helps us focus on that. That is the group, not me. The group comes first. And by thinking that way, we start getting into what these other traditions can be. And with this one, especially, trying to stay what we're supposed to be so that we can help the people that are supposed to be out. And, uh, and I, I really, I marvel at how the other fellowships help each other. Right. Some of the meetings I get to go to, get attend, and the stuff I get to witness, how people are suffering from a deadly malady, and they they start to get they're getting help, and they're they're gathered together in large numbers, and you can just see the love and hope, you know, the That just, I mean, it's just amazing. Well, God really painted a, a really neat program, and, and uh, I think it's neat that it's being shared with so many other. Uh, fellowships. And I'm really grateful that I, or that God kept me alive so I could make it into this one. I thank you guys for making this, this whole thing happen. Okay. Anybody else have anything else? Thank you very much, Bob. Okay. Thanks, Bob. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.